look, is it going to win an Emmy? No. But does every show need to win an Emmy? No. And I, you, you learn more by getting uncomfortable. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, the first of 2024, we are talking to broadcaster Dominique Catronio. Dominique handles stats and research for the Brewers booth and hosts the radio postgame show, but in his short career, he's really been a renaissance man. He's called baseball at multiple professional and amateur levels, and during his time at Arizona State, he's called numerous Sun Devil sports. Baseball, hockey, water polo, he's even called pickleball. Is the son of longtime A's play-by-play man Vince Catronio. Broadcasting isn't his bloodlines, but as we'll discuss, he's really working to forge his own path in sports while constantly working to sharpen his craft with advice from his dad and many other broadcasters. We talk about his run at multiple levels of baseball, what makes those levels different in terms of calling the game, how calling things like pickleball can you know can help him with baseball. We'll also talk about his passion for the sport of golf. He's a caddy at Aaron Hills. Golf is a big thing for me, so we we do do a little golf minute and, and what he thinks needs to needs to change in the world of of calling golf. I think we could easily see him calling golf one day, calling a major championship as we could calling big league baseball. It's a really interesting rise in a in a very short career thus far. He's got a you know he's got a long road ahead of him. Was really excited to have Dominique on the show and and talk out his run in baseball. Episodes are from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcast. I appreciate people bearing with us on this first episode of 2024. Took a little bit of a hiatus for some, some paternity leave, but I am back to every other Tuesday, so you can count on those episodes coming. Uh, also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. The International Top 50 was just released. Prospect Ham book is available and we got spring training coming up it is always a good time to subscribe to baseball america and with that let's talk to dominique catronio all right joining in on today's episode from fiend out of the farm he's the host of brewers extra innings and he is also a caddy at one of the best golf courses in america dom catronio dom thank you so much for joining the show yeah appreciate it happy uh happy winter happy off season uh shout out to shohei otani Shout out Shohei Otani. Happy offseason, but in your line of work, is there really an offseason? There's a less busy season. Let's let's put it like that. Right now, I'm in less busy season, um, you know, with the holidays right around the corner. But I, I'm already looking at, I, I think I'm going to book my flights for spring training by the end of the week. So it's really, it, it doesn't really end. I figured, and we'll get into that because you're not just, uh, you know, you, you haven't just solely called baseball. You haven't just solely done play-by-play work. So you, you've got a looking at your resume on your website. I was, I, I didn't even know where to start. So, um, I, I want to start at the beginning. You grew up. You've got baseball in your blood, play-by-play in your blood. When did you decide that you wanted to make broadcasting a career? It was probably sophomore, junior year of high school. Um. For a long time, I wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be, you know, a coach. I wanted to be a leader of some kind, a, you know, somebody that teaches and leadership qualities, that sort of thing. Prior to that, though, I wanted to be an astronaut. Then I realized you needed like 20 years of naval pilot experience, 2020 vision. Uh, I have giant glasses on, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, and I also wasn't talented enough to play baseball for 20 years. So I was... The once I finished playing my JV year and I by playing, I use that term loosely. Um, 
I just kind of started thinking like, man, what, what, how do I stay involved with baseball? What do I want to do? And obviously you mentioned my dad, Vince now just finished his 31st season in the show. God bless. Incredible, incredible career. But he never said you should do this ever, honestly. And I appreciate that because he was always very real with me about it. Like, Hey, this is a hard business. This is subjective. This is, uh, you're going to subject yourself to a lot of stuff that you maybe don't want to hear, obviously, with the current climate around Nepo babies and things like that. But still, my junior year of high school, I was just sitting behind the batting cage one day. And like like one of my teammates was saying, like, do play by play like your dad. Like, like I want to hear what it sounds like. And I just did it naturally. I'm like, maybe I can do this. And I started doing it in high school, just totally on my own, saved up for a laptop. And I was working at a local golf course at the time and saved up for a laptop, used the hotspot from my cell phone. And this was like the very early days of hotspots. It was like very shaky. We found the booster club paid for my like subscription service to stream the games live on this website. And I would do all the road games uh, for grandparents and family to listen to back in Gilbert, Arizona. So it was uh, my indoctrination of like, okay, we, we want to do this. And then I went to Arizona State and the rest is history. Well, with that, I uh, I pulled, doing some of the research, there was a profile written on you when you were calling for Down East in the, you're going to need to pronounce it, n- noisy, like sh- like Sheldon News. So it's how, the how Noose News. Yeah, I know. Noose it's N-E-U-S-E. N-E-U-S-E. It's the Noose River, which rolls through Kinston, very famous river um, that rolls through eastern North Carolina. But yes, that's through a, a friend of mine, Brian Hanks, who was our pl- uh by our uh, PA announcer down there in Kinston. And uh, he was very, very kind to me during my two years in Kinston. Well, they, they wrote a very nice profile on you that made my job a little bit easier prepping for this. But it said you you started a a student stream broadcast when you you're talking about calling these games like what was what was the pitch and like how did you go from calling BP and saying, hey, I might want to do this to coming up with the idea of, hey, I should I should call these games because like I live in Texas, you lived in Texas. A lot of those, those broadcasts are taken care of. We have our, we have our, our, you know, there's home, there's a way that it's a big deal. How did you say, you know, you, I guess you saw a supply issue and fill the demand here. It was in Arizona. It's, you know, high school sports aren't anything like what it is in Texas. Now that's not discrediting Arizona high school sports. Like Arizona football has been on the up and up lately, but obviously Arizona baseball has always been a hot spot. Arizona basketball has been popping off as of late guys like Marcus Howard, Andrews Pete uh, is going to be in the next generation um, guys like that. But when I think of baseball and it was truly how far can I take this? It was never, this is for a class or I'm doing this because my dad wants me to do it or because somebody was already doing it before. It was truly like, okay, maybe we can do this. And it was just solving problems. And that's kind of one of my mottos that have been instilled in me through my dad and actually through my first grade teacher who inspired the whole teacher thing. Uh, her motto was just always solve the problem. And I've just kind of taken that. So, okay, let's do one step at a time. Let's solve this. Let's figure this out because might as well figure out if I want to do this now before I figure out what my major is going to be in college. And if, like, do I really want to go into the sports media world and go to, because at this point I was a better golfer than I was a baseball player. And I was looking at playing collegiate golf, trying to, all right, do I want to go to a small school, maybe lesser academics, but get to play college golf or do I 
bail on college golf, go to a big school like Arizona State, which I ultimately chose to do and focus on this as my career. And, and it was just always started as, yeah, why not? You know, let's just let's just see what happens. And the worst they can say is no. And the Booster Club is really who I have to thank. Mr. Dave Doan. Shout out to you, Mr. Doan, uh, who really was the first person to a.k.a. sponsor me, if you will, to say, like, yeah, well, the Booster Club will put up the $50 a month for this streaming service for you to to call our games. So you're the second broadcaster we've had on the show. The first was a mutual friend of ours, Trey Wilson. And you guys had different experiences in terms of Trey went to a very small school. And that was a big part of his story at its small school athletics. It is all hands on deck. And for Trey, that fortunately gave him the ability to, he got on a call very early in his college run, was able to call a lot of different things um, and, and even parlay that into some in-college minor league baseball. You go to one of the biggest schools in the country, huge broadcast, huge journalism program. What are the, the barriers to actually getting to hone your craft in real time when you go to a big school like that and a big program? Luckily at Arizona State, you know, the Cronkite School, Sports was still kind of in its infancy when I was a student as far as how they approached covering sports at the school. And I tell this to any prospective student that's considering like, you know, the, the traditional journalism powers, the Mizzou's, the Syracuse's, the Arizona State's, the USC's. I was on the air 7 a.m. day one of classes. <laughs> like I was on the very first shift on the air. So I, I was always taught through my dad and through people in the industry, get reps, do it, get better. You only get better by being on the microphone and, and self-analyzing. So I was already calling ASU baseball games as a freshman. And I, I, I take subtle digs at Syracuse. Look, Syracuse does an amazing job. Their, their reputation precedes them. Who they have produced speaks for itself. Syracuse doesn't have baseball. Syracuse, you don't get to call play-by-play -play of you know a, a revenue-generating sport, a football or a, a basketball, until you're at least a junior. Even then, you maybe only get one chance. So I tell kids all the time, if you want to be on the air, go to Arizona State. If you want to be on the air, you can go to a smaller school too and just get on the air. Now, you're going to be trained very well at a place like Syracuse or a place like Mizzou or a place like Northwestern. You're going to be trained well. And ASU has caught up in that regard as far as Oh, we're going to offer play-by-play -play courses now. Gary Thorne taught the first play-by-play -play course at Arizona State right after I had left, of course. So I I look at that experience as the reason why I chose ASU ultimately not play college golf because the, the the it came down to two schools, Arizona State and ironically a school called Dominican University uh, in San Rafael, California. And Division two school, nothing crazy, but they had an independent league team, the San Rafael Pacifics, that they had internships and things that you could eventually fold into some play by play. So that would have been the plan there. But the plan was getting on the air. So uh, that's what I tell anybody. The reason why I went to ASU is because there was a pitch to be on the air as quickly as possible and get better as quickly as possible. So I want to touch on that, the getting better and the self-evaluation part. I want to go through that a couple times as we talk. But when you're in college and you're just you're just starting out, you're first starting to do this, I would assume the self-evaluation part is a little bit different than say if you call a game now with, you know, over half a decade in the business. So what did what did that entail when you you first started out? Cause I like it's it's completely different, but I know 
getting behind a mic podcasting. I'm a lot better now than I was five years ago in just terms of comfort and in just in terms of, of being able to riff. What were the things like your early years at Arizona State where you consciously you'd finish a broadcast and think, I've got to get I've got to get better at this. I've got to improve. It's like an, improving a golf game. I got to work with my wedges. I got to I got to putt better. Things like that. Like what were the the baby steps? I guess of of upping your game before you got out of college. It, it, it's the cliche of like big fish, small pond, and then you become a small fish in a big pond kind of thing. So I was a big fish, if you will. Forgive the expression. It sounds so pretentious to say it like that. But like I was a big fish at Arizona State because there weren't many other kids doing sports like I was doing. Then my first year, I was very lucky to be a broadcaster on the Cape Cod Baseball League. And it was a wild setup because freshmen don't generally get those jobs. And I was set to be an intern in Hyannis, not necessarily be on the air, be like a game day intern, helping out, maybe do score sheets and the scout sheets and rosters, things like that. Then all of a sudden, an opening became available in Chatham, which was like the dream spot. And my first few games in Chatham, I realized, like I, I say the expression all the time, and uh, you ain't bleep, you know, like you ain't crap. <laughs> like so being around all these talented Syracuse kids and talented, you know, other people shoot just from that summer, that first summer, 2014. So myself was in that summer. Mike Monaco was in that summer with the Wareham Gateman. He's now a fill-in voice on the Red Sox and the White Sox. And he does ESPN and he does a lot of incredible work. Uh, Brendan Glasheen, uh, he does some main Celtic stuff, G League for them. Uh, Greg Mraz did some professional play-by-play I know um, Greg. Yes, Greg's a great friend, Pac-12 guy as well. And there's, there's just so many names that are just flooding to my head right now that we're also doing great stuff. And I'm the freshman, and I just sit here, I'm like, I need to get better. Like, I, I am just not even close to And these guys are juniors and, and seniors, which to be expected, but it, it just really ignited that, okay, this is what I can become faster than these guys became it. So it was truly a you ain't bleep moment. Myself and Johnny Wincott, Wincott was my partner. Johnny's still a great friend to this day, and he's still a really good broadcaster doing a lot of stuff in the New York area, New Jersey area, like Stony Brook Athletics and and other things like that. So I, I that's the self-evaluation. The tip That actually tip came from Joe Davis. Uh, right when he was starting, he is ESPN Fox crossover doing college football. He got a lot of the Pac-12 slate when I was a student. So I got to connect with Joe a little bit when I was still at Arizona State. And he's still been a great influence for me uh, even years later. What is that community like? I, I know in, in reading stuff about you and talking to other broadcasters is like, oh, this person is in, inspires me or is a great, you know, um, so, you know, someone I kind of want to be like, what is the community in terms of like, um, you know, best practices and tip sharing? Like if you're, if you're in a baseball bullpen, you know, this guy might have a slider grip you want to try or you know, something like that. Just trying to, just trying to make the connection there. What are, you know, are there, you know, best practices shared among colleagues or tips or things like that? Or is it something you really have to take and just figure out your own way? It's a mix of both, but like our version, the broadcaster version of, working on your slider grip is sending your tape to somebody more established or somebody a little higher up. So I, I sent tapes to everybody when I was growing up because this is partial advice from my dad, but also my own realization of my only coach can't be my dad. 
And it needs to be And every broadcaster in America has done this. They send a tape to somebody and you send it to somebody you admire, somebody you want to hear from, and you get it just absolutely roasted the pieces and shredded the pieces. That's the point. That's how you get better, right? You, we don't have Rapsodo telling us, okay, our, our spin efficiency was 85% on that. We need to get that up to 90. Or we don't have quantitative data to say this is how you get better. It's all qualitative, listening to as many opinions as you can. I remember I had this great tape. I thought I was dialed after the Cape Cod season. I got better. I was feeling really good. And I had sent that tape to Jason Benetti. And I had met Benetti through spring training and everything. So, hey, Jason, I, I know you've met my dad before, but I just wanted to introduce myself. This is my tape. Please feel free to say whatever you want. And any sort of advice is welcome. And he shredded it to bits. And I thank him every day for that. Like It, it was exactly what I needed and exactly how you continue to get better and better and better. Uh, he's been a great help. Brian Anderson's an obvious pick as a great help. Uh, Ken Korak has been incredible. My dad's partner with Oakland and Brian is who I work with now here in Milwaukee. So uh, there are countless others that have helped me along the way. And this community is all based on the fact of maybe the previous generation didn't quite help out this generation of stalwarts that we see now. So the guys that are in the position now are making sure to help the next generation, unlike maybe previous ones have done so. So it's been really fun to see it kind of grow and people, you know, and people you've connected with over the years, continuing to help down the road for uh, the next generation. How much are you and your dad able to, to talk shop as not coworkers, but like people in the same field, because it's funny, we're doing this after I've done it, done a, the last four episodes, a series on sports parenting. And one of the, you know, one of the truths and something that, that we've talked about with those guests. And I've learned with myself as a little league coach it's a, it's just a lot tougher to coach your own child than it is other people's children. Is that something, do you, do you guys talk shop like in, in that way? Or is it more of just, he is an encouraging presence? It, it's, we definitely talk shop. I and mean, he was the first guy to, you know, to shred it to bits. As I said, I mean, I remember I was doing my very first game ever high school, junior, and I'm literally sitting on the first baseline. Cause I was this particular park. There was no space directly behind home. And when I was doing it in high school, I'm literally bringing a table, setting it up right behind home, calling it from ground level and doing the best I can. Here I am calling my first game ever on top of the first base dugout. My dad's sending me texts like, you need to say this. You haven't said the score. What direction's the ball hit? I'm, I'm like, I'm just like, my head's spinning right now, dad. I need, I need you to slow down. So he's the dad in the bleachers and you're in the dugout and he's telling you to stay back. And thank God he was not that dad. Yeah. Thank God he was not that dad when I actually played baseball. He was him and my mom were the most low key, probably because they knew I wasn't going to be a big leaguer. Um, and second, that there were other parents like that on teams that I grew up with. So uh, I'm very glad that that. But this is, you know, an, uh, a field that my dad actually has expertise in. Right. Like my middle sister, she went into meat science and meat judging when she was in college. My dad's got no expertise in that. My youngest sister was an animator and an artist and has been really talented in the artsy side of things. My dad's not go experience, no experience in that. So he's able to connect with me on that. When we talk shop as much as we can during the season and it it's great because I'm central time zone. He's West Coast. I can be leaving my post-game show, turn on the game, and I can catch maybe the last four innings of his game. So in this year with a lot more TV time for him, I got to watch a lot more games. Uh, I got to listen to plenty as well. And then, of course, we 
got to do a series head to head this year. The A's came to Milwaukee. It was the first time ever. We both have worked a regular season game together. Now, obviously him with the A's and me with the Brewers, but the way it works in Milwaukee is that the visiting radio booth is actually next door to the home TV booth. And we were literally separated by a wall. Like, so my dad sat on the right seat of that visiting radio booth and I was in the left seat of that home TV booth. So the only thing separated was a wall and they had a great shot of two of us working side by side in a regular season game. So that, that those are the moments where it all gets worth it. We've called spring training games together too, for the A's and, those days have passed, but those are really, really fun every year to get to do with my dad. So in this, uh, again, in this profile and the new snooze that I pulled, it says that you, and this was in 2017. So this is kind of fresh out of college. So by then it says you had covered, you have broadcast baseball, hockey, football, basketball, softball, volleyball, pickleball, tennis, and water polo. Mm-hmm. You know, I know like general sports fans, like I know baseball, I know football well enough. You're diving into some literally waters, you know, talking Mm -hmm. water polo and things like that. What is, uh, I just want you to walk me through that. Hey, Dom, you got to call the water polo game. How familiar were you with water polo beforehand? What does that prep look like versus the prep for an Arizona State baseball game? It's basically... Get the names right, first and foremost, pronunciations, head coaches, assistant coaches, everyone that's going to be around the pool. And then familiarize yourself with the penalties, with the rules, you know, foul calls, things like that. Uh, And then luckily for all those streams, like for tennis and water polo in particular, those were college streams. So we generally had either a scratch join us on the show. So somebody on the team that can offer insight or like an alum that's around the program still that wanted to help out and do some things. So, and you just lean on your color because we can see the pictures. I don't need to describe it like it's on radio and get excited, call it as you see it and lean on your color. And it look, is it going to win an Emmy? No, but does every show need to win an Emmy? No. And I, you, you learn more by getting uncomfortable. You learn by, trying to see what works, see what doesn't work. Caught a lot of high school women's basketball when I was a student and like trying out catchphrases, trying out terrible things and realize what works and doesn't work. And you only get better with experience. You can't just, you know, sit there and and watch a game and shoot. I, I still sitting with my stats headset on like I do nowadays during the game. I'm calling the game in my head, just taking mental reps or I'm watching an NBA game and I'm, calling the game in my head of like what I would say here, you know, at the in the left block. And like, if I'm practicing for a radio call from practicing for a TV call and it, it, that experience being in other sports obviously helps the baseball because there's so much action in those other sports that when the action finally happens in baseball, you're, you're ready for it. So it, everything feeds into something to help yourself out when it comes to baseball, when it comes to basketball, football, whatever you may be calling, everything's connected. So catchphrases, uh, on the, the, the first time I, I was introduced to who you are as I in, in the, uh, no laying up travel series strapped. There's a little bit of a conversation about catchphrases in, in your episode. There's a, there's a bigger one when, when Benetti comes on, uh, shout out Bangalang. When you're when you're trying yes. out catchphrases, is that something you're you're in the shop, you're cooking, you're trying to come up with with something, or like you're gonna call water polo or pickleball or something like that, and you're like, I got I got to figure out something to say when there's an impactful moment, or does it does it have to be all off the cuff? Most of it was off the cuff, honestly, when I was workshopping. And now today, I have nothing. The only thing I have today 
is a tagline, like to sign off the broadcast when I'm done. It's my motto. It's keep on swinging, which is what you're referring to from that episode of Strapped. Um, and for people who don't know, it's it's No Laying Up, which is a golf media company. They have a very popular golf podcast. They also do some uh, golf adjacent stuff on their YouTube page. And I was in one of their things called Strapped, which they dropped two of their members, uh, Neil and Big Randy, to insert city here, have a budget, so on and so forth. You can explore at your own leisure. But they it's the best travel series and, in the game. Would would recommend it to everyone, even if great. you're not a golf fan. It's really funny, and they're great personalities, and it's really really fun. Um, but yeah, that's keep on swinging. Came when I was in college. Um, it was inspired actually by a classmate of mine when we were calling junior league hockey, maybe the worst junior league to ever exist, because this was AHL, the Arizona Redhawks. They played out of an Arizona ice, like like a polar ice in the West Valley in Peoria and they were losing games continually 16, nothing 15 to one. Like it, it was the worst hockey I've ever watched. And we would do a post game show. And one kid would always say, keep your stick on the ice. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty good. I like that. And then my profile as baseball player was gritty. Don't strike out, put the ball in play, keep on swinging, um, you know, try hard if you will you know, hustle always. So, keep on swinging felt very natural and it also kind of comes partially inspired by dory from finding emo keep on swimming so keep on swinging is the only thing i really keep as far as catchphrases go and my dad doesn't have a catchphrase ba doesn't have a catchphrase uh obviously bob euchre has get up get out of here gone but uh lane and jeff and josh don't really have one with our radio crew here it's a lot more common than you think to not have one because it's got to be good if it's going to stick around. It's funny. That's I was going to ask you about what are the misconceptions about your job, and it just seems like a good time for it because that is something that I oh I think every baseball you know John Miller and Matt Vescursion and things everyone you got to have a catchphrase. What what are other misconceptions like things people ask you about your job or things people think you do that are just off the reservation when when it comes to play by play. And this works perfectly because now I'm a statistician with the play by play, still wanting to do more play by play. But I think people assume for some reason that the guy in the play by play chair, guy or gal in play by play chair, isn't doing any prep, that they aren't doing their own research, and that me as a statistician is handing everything they say. That is the furthest thing from the case. I'm there for support. I can bring my own ideas, but it's so that, you know, BA can hit Brian Anderson can hit the cough button, turn to me and say, can you look up this, that, and the other? And then I write it on a note card and hand it to him to influence what he's supposed to say. He doesn't have to say, Dom Catronio tells me that. No, that's not the point. The point is he's able to weave something. He wasn't able to look it up quickly enough. He wanted to use me to look it up. And I think that's an example of us working together, nor should he say my name every time. And another misconception I think we always have is that the play-by-play guy is calling the shots. Like they're cutting to whatever the, that's the director, the producer, the replays, all that's like, we're, we're not in the booth. We're not hitting the buttons for the replays or for when the referee's coming on camera or like, that's not us. There's other people who are in charge of that traffic in the truck. So I've never understood when people are complaining to national broadcasters, why'd you show this? You didn't show the right angle on this replay. What do you go? we don't do that. Like we, we, we react to what's on the screen, just like you, we get a heads up in our ear of like what's coming, but 
No, we, we have no control over what's that. And maybe the reason why you don't see a certain angle that you're asking for is because we don't have it. Like that camera was assigned to following the runner on third. So normally you would expect that angle from across from first or whatever. There are always a reason for you not to see something. If we have it, you're going to see it is generally the motive in television. So you graduate college, graduate from Arizona State. You've called I'll all pause these you there. I did not graduate. I correct everybody about this. Everyone assumes it. I did not graduate from Arizona State. I do not recommend the path that I chose. So you declare for the early. draft early then. Pretty much, exactly. <laughs> I, I left as a junior. So what? I mean, if if it's if it's worth unpacking, what you know, what went into that, and how did you end up in Orem? How did you end up in minor league baseball? So I, I think for one, I wasn't a great student, and I regret that tremendously. But at the same time, everything happens for a reason. And it was nothing dire or anything like that. But I was always the kid that valued real world experience over taking a gen ed class. And that was like, hey, you're paying for college. You should be there. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. So uh, what en ended up happening was I was applying for jobs in 2016, still as a student, not expecting to get anything. Uh, and then Orem popped up. And Orem was available because the year prior they had a very insensitive uh, promotion that led to their broadcaster quitting in the middle of the year and they had a vacancy and it was still vacant. And I said, screw it, I'll take the job and just didn't go back to school after that because that job led to another job, which led to another job. And it just never went back. And at that time, now it's a lot better. But at that time, Hey, can I take my classes online to finish this up? They're like, no, you got to be in person for this. I'm like, oh, okay. Obviously, the world has changed since 2016 uh, as far as the culture and the the thought to online classes. But everything happens for a reason. I've promised my mom I'm going to get it done one day. And uh, trust me, I'm still paying those student loans that obviously I didn't use entirely. But I, I tell kids get the get the piece of paper, just do it, get the degree. It makes things a lot easier. Um, I now would I trade my path for any other? No, because I ended up exactly where I thought I wanted to be, but it would have taken a lot less uh, stress to get to this point. And uh, it was not a fun conversation with my parents about it, but I think my dad deep down understood why I did what I did. And it, it's all worked out. Like I'm 29 years old. I'm, you know, on the doorsteps of a big league play-by-play -play job, and I'm extremely happy where I am. When you make that transition at MILB, did you notice a big difference in calling professionals versus calling amateurs? Like, are there, you know, the calling baseball games at Arizona State, you're going to see some of those Pac-12 games are just as talented as, as, you know, RIP rookie ball, but just as talented as rookie ball in a lot of cases, or even a little more polished. Did you, did you notice differences in how you had to go about your craft when calling professionals versus calling amateurs? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the big wake up call, like you said, you know, going from Pac-12 baseball to rookie ball in the Pioneer League, uh, we were not a great team in Orem, but we won the first half somehow and then won the championship. Uh, there was one big leaguer or two big leaguers on on that team in Orem, uh, Jemai Jones and uh, Jose Rojas. Like, And even then, they both have kind of bounced around like Jose is playing in Korea right now. Jemai is now in the Brewers organization, but he's bounced around to a few other teams. Like it, it's so much harder to be successful in professional baseball than it is in Pac-12. That doesn't mean the quality of play was better or worse. I think it was pretty equal, like you were saying. But like 
then you understand, yeah, here's this 18-year-old or 17-year-old Dominican. It's his first time playing in America and understanding how the game is played and playing in front of 50 people in Helena, Montana, or 20 people on a Sunday in Orem, Utah, for people who aren't familiar with the geography of Utah. Orem is practically sister cities with Provo. So with a very large LDS population in Utah and specifically Provo, of course, and BYU, we petitioned to have Sundays off because nobody would attend. We're also at the time, I think one of only two teams in all of minor league baseball that didn't sell beer because we were so close to Provo. Like it's an, no one was going to drink it. It's LDS. So it was kind of wild, that culture shock of, okay, this is nobody's here. The players are getting their first taste of American professional baseball. And it's like, oh, we're going to ride on a bus for 13 hours. Like we're going to drive to Montana. And it's just like, you, you, you find out if you love it really quick doing that. So um, it, it, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I learned so much so fast in just those 83 games or whatever. And it led me into my next few jobs down the road. I asked Trey the same thing, and this seems like a, a good point to ask it when, especially in you've you've kind of laid out that in, in the minor leagues, minor leagues are more about development than winning. You might, you know, there might not be a lot of people there. There's maybe a couple guys who are going to play in the big league, something like that. And you, you've got to be talking the whole game. You can't switch off the mic when it is 12 to one in the sixth and it's a getaway day and there's there's just nothing going on the, the opposing teams pitching, you know, putting a position player in and things like that. What is the, what is the breakdown of the strategy of, Hey, we got to blow out. We got nothing going on. How do we, how do you stay locked in, in a situation like that? It, it, it's the old Joe DiMaggio quote, like, you know, some kid in the stands has never seen me play before. So I'm going to give my all someone's parent, someone's friend, someone's girlfriend is listening and living and dying with every at bat of this player on your team. You know, don't sell them short. That's how I view it. Because I explain this to all my friends. Like, you can turn off the game. Like, I if it's 12 to 1 in the fifth inning, you can turn off the game. But I won't take it personally because I'm still going to be there. And that if you're still with me in the sixth inning of a 12 to 1 game, there's a reason for it. And I'm going to continue giving it. Now, does it mean every pitch is the World Series Game 7? Of course not. But being respectful and being honest with what's happening for the development of the player. Like, you know, the pitcher blew it open in the second inning, right? Just, you know, hey, I talked to the pitching coach this week and he was really working on the slider. And you mentioned the development part of things. Like, there are things that we don't know always in the broadcast booth. Always. So, Explaining that to the fan, you know, maybe it's the top prospect that was pitching that game. So you have a, a larger than usual audience. I, we went through a lot of this in Corpus Christi with Forrest Whitley. Forrest Whitley still in the minor leagues. Uh, he just got granted a fourth option year I saw for the Astros that everyone has heard so much about this first round pick. He's like maybe the only one that's not going to work out for Jeff Luno since Mark Appel. Like what's going on with Forrest Whitley? Everybody cared about Forrest Whitley, what he was doing. And then he'd give up five runs in the third inning or whatever. But you go down after the fact and you talk to the pitching coaches like Graham Johnson. Like, yeah, we we wanted him to throw a first pitch slider every at bat. And then the other team caught on to that. So there are always things that you can project and make clear that you're not trying to 
you know, say, oh, gosh, Forrest Whitley, he's a bust. He stinks. Like, no, he's not. He had something they were trying to work on. And if it's for the offense or if it's for a story, if it's whatever, don't sell the listener short because they're still with you for a reason. Just take it seriously, but not too seriously, if you will, right? Like, it's 12 to 1. Like, don't ignore the elephant in the room. But there's a reason somebody's listening to this at bat or this pitch for something. Somebody in the organization could be listening. So, so, so treat it seriously. You mentioned that the Orem job led to one job, led to another job. You've called it at multiple levels now. You're obviously in the in calling calling the big leagues, but what is each offseason like when you reach kind of broadcaster free agency? You're not, you know, when you're in the minors, you're not locked down to some sort of long term deal. You know, you don't have to hit arbitration. You don't have to to wait out seven years when final pitch of the season is thrown. What does your off season typically look like, especially when you were in the minors? And obviously the goal, just like it is with the players is advancement. So 2016 to 2017 off season. Uh, I did not go to the winter meetings. This was still when the job fair was a thing. Um, didn't go to the winter meetings. I just knew I wasn't going to go back to Orem and reaching out to everything. I knew there was going to be the two new teams in North Carolina with Bowie's Creek and down East. Um, leaving the California League, so RIP High Desert. Um, just always tried to bank on those, and I applied to other places to be a number two. Um, for instance, I know you had Trey Wilson on the show recently, and when Trey was in Altoona, I had actually committed to Trey to be his number three, so no guarantee of even doing play-by-play because nothing else was biting. And then a week later, Down East called and said, we would like you to be our first voice of the Down East Wood Ducks, so I had to call Trey back like, hey, man, Sorry. And it goes back to your point with the free agency stuff. Things get wacky in free agency. And you're always kind of thinking in 18 month increments because, you know, for instance, when I was in Kinston, you know, all right, I had six months covered. So what are the next six months, you know, next four months or so off season going to look like? Then you maybe arrive to Kinston a month before season, like March one, you would start games wouldn't start till like April five. Games end September 1, then you got to factor for playoffs, and you're probably on the payroll till the end of September, cleaning things up. Then you got to figure out October through February again. So what I did was just always think ahead. I'm a notorious planner, note taker. I'm just always thinking ahead and trying to see the big picture. It can get a little exhaustive at times when you just want it now, and you have to be so patient during all of this. But I went to the room meetings between 2017 and 2018, knowing I had an open invitation to return to Kinston and I ended up returning to Kinston, but just kind of tested the water, see what else was out there. If anything was going to be better. And then another thing happened in 2019 where I had committed to Salem because it was a better paying job, even though it was in the same league, better paying job, you know, Red Sox who could say no to the Red Sox. And, you know, I, I admired the people that were around the team there, Susie Cool and, and everybody that I would have been affiliated with. Then literally three weeks into that job, Corpus Christi called me. Uh, so it, it just becomes like, hey, hard conversation here to have. But uh, I got a better opportunity. Thank you for taking a chance on me and yada, yada. And, you know, they can be mad at you for a week or two weeks or the whole season. But everything works out for a reason because Melanie Newman and I are still great friends to this day. Melanie ended up getting that Salem job and then she's in the big leagues a year later. So it all works out as it's supposed to. And, uh, love my time in Corpus Christi. And then 2020 happened and we all had to pivot. 
we talk about j- jumps in the minors for the players. We always talked about like the, the jump from high A to double A was the second biggest jump besides double A to the majors. And you've, you've now risen through all of them. Are there for a broadcaster, are there jumps? Do, do fastballs get better? Do sliders get better? What, what are the kind of the adjustments up the ladder that need to be made to sharpen your craft? I, I, the biggest thing I've learned listening back to old stuff is how I use my voice. Uh, I've, always had a deeper voice than I was projecting onto the air and I wasn't using my diaphragm right or I was speaking out of my throat or speaking out of the back of my mouth as opposed to from my chest and that would lead to voice cracks that would lead to running out of breath in the middle of a high-paced call or basketball or football I'd be like "Eh, like the the it ramps up like it just kind of crescendos upward of just trying to like you're running out of breath so your voice pitch gets higher Brian Anderson taught me all this stuff. And what I've learned is like, that's one way to do it. Like controlling your voice, like Kevin Harlan, that deep voice, like you you need a lot of wind for that voice or Mike Breen controlling his breath for the call a bang. Or uh, you, you look at Bob Costas, always in control, always thinking of what he's going to say before he says it. Eric Nadell has been a big idol of mine growing up, listening to him and my dad back with the Rangers days and finally got to call a World Series. You can just see how genuine a reaction it was. And it was just so you were not dreaming. And it was it was really great. So those are ways that you can get better. Just seeing the action. My biggest thing that I've always stressed, even since I was like 17 years old, is pitch identification, especially on radio. Because on TV, we can see it's a big looping Clayton Kershaw curveball. But I think if you have the skill to say, here's the pitch, curveball, and then you know the swing or the take or whatever, the, the listener already has a picture in their mind of, okay, I know what the pitch is looking like, and then he swings, lines at the right field. I can already picture like, okay, he's taking it inside out or whatever. I think that's a big skill that I've tried to develop over the years, pitch identification as it's coming out of the hand. Um, There are other ways as far as actual mechanics, like saying the score or defensive alignment or who's on deck, little things like that that are evergreen in a broadcast. But there are other ways to kind of freshen it up along the way. So walk me through then finding your way, way to Milwaukee, you know, kind of getting that first foot in the door of the big leagues. It's wild. Um, I let, let me backtrack. 2018 spring training, no, 2017 spring training. I got to do my first big league games, uh, filling in on A's radio and then filling in on Rangers radio for spring training games because native Phoenix, uh, easy to get around, didn't have to pay for a hotel or a car or anything like that. So, with all due respect to all the big league broadcasters, none of them want to do the spring training games. I can guarantee you that. Whereas kids like me want to do the spring training games because it's tape. So I got to do a lot of that in 17 that folds into 18, same thing, 2019. Now I'm a member of the Astros, but the Rangers still had me fill in for a couple. The A's still had me fill in for a couple. Uh, and then 2020 was really popping where I did a spring training again. I did uh, a couple of Rangers again, just to fill in. And then the Astros flew me to West Palm to do a few of their games on KBME with Robert Ford. And, I was also getting ready to do my TV debut in 2020 with Pac-12 Network to do a handful of ASU games and U of A games back in Arizona. Uh, We all know what happened in March of 2020. Uh, I had already done my three games with the Astros and 
they flew me back home and it was no big deal. I was already flying the day that I was planning to fly first thing in the morning. And while I was flying, everything was getting canceled below me. I was like kind of in the twilight zone of just like, I'm the only, you know, us and 180 people on this plane have no idea the world is going to be different when we land and got off the plane to like 20 missed calls and a million text messages and just like, Hey Dom, the game's canceled this weekend. Sorry. We're going to figure it out. Sounds like it's going to be two week thing. Obviously it wasn't. And you think of all this stuff. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? This 18 month block that I had planned out is now totally kaput. And I get, you know, informed very late in the process that I was getting laid off by the Astros and I had to figure out this backup plan just in case it was, I could see the writing on the wall. Nobody was making money in the minor leagues at that time. So I get laid off from the Astros in January, officially in February, but like I could tell it was happening in January and I created this backup plan to move to Milwaukee because I originally wanted to move to North Carolina because I wanted to work for Pinehurst and work at Learfield IMG again. I did that in my off seasons when I was in the Carolina League. So I called Brian Anderson, the voice of the Brewers and TNT and, and TBS, say like, hey, this is my plan. I'm going to move the Pinehurst, move back to North Carolina. Do you think this is crazy? And he said, yes, this is crazy. You should move to Milwaukee instead because I need a stats guy for like 50 games. And because nobody was traveling in the 2021 season, there was empty booths. So those games that I wasn't calling on or wasn't doing stats for i would go call a tape and stay sharp doing broadcast to an audience of one just to myself and i would just listen back self-evaluate find a couple of tapes and keep getting better keep getting better and the stats blossomed into 50 games became more like 100 games which became his tbs slate which became his playoff postseason which became working with bob costas which became all this extra stuff because of the right place at the right time and I thank Brian every day for what he's done for my career. And then finally, a year and a half ago, in the middle of the season, Matt Pauley got a job with KMOX down in St. Louis, who was the pre and post host of the Brewers. And WTMJ called me and was like, we think you're the perfect fit for this. And I've been in the role ever since. Just finished a full season, did the second half of the season in 2022. Just did the full season in 2023. And we're headed back for 2024 to do more of the Brewers. So that's a lot of awesome, exciting baseball stuff. But you, you said the name Pinehurst, which allows me to get to your, do you consider it your second job, your side hustle? You, you caddy at Aaron Hills, yeah. which is an, a very interesting second life for someone who is, is broadcasting. How did you fall into that? So I caddied when I was in college. Um, this is part of the reason why I dropped out too, um, because I was making money and I was like, man, like I just wanted pay off these student loans and get out of here and start doing broadcasting. But you know, that was, I was making money doing that. And I was caddying at true North in Scottsdale while I was a student. And I was just always, always enamored with that job. And I've always said, you know, golf, even in the turmoil of this week in golf, like golf has always been the sport I want to call the most. Like I love the game of golf. Like I said, I was always better at golf than I was at baseball. Uh, I still carry a single digit handicap. I was a lot better when I was younger, but you know, life gets in the way. But when, you know, I was thinking of 2020, 2021, what to do Pinehurst always stuck out to me because it's Pinehurst. Like what, what more can you say? It's one of the best resorts in America. And it gave me a chance to still work for Learfield, which maybe that was going to be the route I take, stay in the college world and stay in that side of thing. And then when I told that to Brian Anderson, he was like, you can caddy at Aaron Hills. I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't even thought about Aaron Hills. I haven't even thought about 
Wisconsin golf. I knew nothing. I had never stepped foot in Wisconsin when I moved here in 2021. And my first time in Aaron Hills, my, my jaw was just on the floor the whole time. I fell in love with the place. I've now caddied there for three years. I would call it like my second job. I wouldn't call it a side hustle because I love it. And I don't get the caddy as much as I used to, but uh, I love caddying there. It's definitely a good chunk of change to help me out through the year, but it's uh, it's a busy day to say the least. Like I'll wake up at 6 a.m., go straight to the course, caddy for five hours, shower there, then go straight to the ballpark, work the game, then do the post game show. And then hopefully I'm in bed by midnight and then we do it all over again the next day. And, uh, it's a cliche, but I truly am living the dream. That's exactly how I would have drawn drawn it up. We'll uh, we'll hop on the baseball train back here in a second for anyone listening to this and is like, I don't want to, I don't want to hear about golf. But I gotta, you, you know, you say you want to call golf, and the obviously golf is kind of say in turmoil, but a lot of changes happening. But the the product, the the TV product, the announcing, who's going to be calling the big tournaments, things like that, is always always up for discussion, up for debate. What is what does golf broadcasting need more of? And what makes, what in your opinion, I would love to know as a professional makes for a good golf call. I I try to give NBC the benefit of the doubt because they've got so many commercials, but it's unwatchable at times. It's horrible. But it's not that CBS doesn't have a lot of commercials either. It's just the way that golf works that, you know, this high yield market that is, you know, the 45 and up white male, you know, investor market that they're trying to attach is is why these ads are so crazy but as far as the actual product i thought cbs was great this year Dottie pepper's awesome uh smiley's getting better on nbc as well john wood's fantastic on nbc uh i i know the the tv booth doesn't like the actual tower matters less than people think in golf because you know you're always kicking it down to ian baker finch who's on the 16 watching all the shots come in here or we're if we're at augusta right we kick it to you know, back in the day, it was Faraday at Amen Corner or uh, Novolo on 17 or whatever. So, like, those are the jobs that I want. I don't necessarily want to be in the 18 Tower. I want to be watching a singular hole all day or follow a group all day, things like that. You know, the easy answer to fix golf broadcasting is youth. But, like, it, yeah, it, it, that's such a cliche answer. And I've realized, like, it's not the answer. You just need passionate people. I, I, I think so many people... Nowadays, when they watch golf are like going through the motions and that includes behind the scenes. You know, there, there are some people that I know that work golf and it's just like another tournament this week. Here we go. Like then, then, then get out of the way. You know, it's not, you know, you had a great career. Let's let people who are passionate about this and putting the best product out there do it. Because the thing is the people that are doing the best work are doing football or doing basketball. Like they're doing the big events for these networks they don't get the chance to do golf because the golf people have been there forever. So I think it's time just for some new energy to get things going back in the right direction of the golf broadcasting world. Yeah. You mentioned smiley. And I think he specifically is someone who seems like he's really enjoying what he's doing. And that comes through. Absolutely. Smiley's great. I got to meet smiley a couple of years ago at the match. I've worked a couple of the matches with Brian Anderson at TNT and uh, smiley's a really good dude. And he did a few of our stuff and, uh, meeting Charles Barkley that way. There's a funny story about that one day that I can tell some folks, uh, maybe you can hear if you're around BA and myself or Chuck uh, about chipping lessons. So it was really, and Trevor Immelman was great too. He was there for that. So uh, really, really cool to be around those people who just, we, we all love the game. Like, it's just, I, I wish that could come across on some of the broadcasts, which I don't think it does as it currently is. I would agree. I would agree. So back, back to baseball, you handle uh, a call-in show. 
And I think that's kind of a, a, not a lost art, but we don't get as much of that as you did in like 90s sports talk radio. I think Mm -hmm. about like hearing clips of call-ins from Mike and the Mad Dog. Like there's the the greatest hits and stuff on YouTube that's just funny. What is, I guess, the strategy of of dealing with call? Like, do you have some regulars, some people like you hear, like, you know, John from Milwaukee's on the phone. You're like, oh God, this guy again. Like what what's what's kind of the process there? We absolutely have regulars still. Uh, we always like variety. I, I look at the way the last two games of the year went for the Brewers, right? They get bounced in the first round by the Diamondbacks who ended up winning the pennant. And I basically turn those post-game shows into sounding boards. You know, just, I don't want to say much today. Let's take your calls. And ton of interaction, some of the regulars. But then, like, during the regular season, right, when the when the, the A's swept the Brewers this year, and they... And then the Brewers lost the next two games to the uh, to the Twins. So, like it was rock bottom. They go back to 500. They just got swept by the worst team in baseball. Those calls were certainly active, but for me, I'm, I'm such a level headed person when it comes to the big scope of a baseball season. It can be, you know, contrary to what talk radio is, and I don't listen to talk radio. I don't listen to like part of my take. I don't listen to the you know 12 to 3 sports talk show and they can do their thing like i don't think it's a bad thing people crave that i'm never going to be the hot take artist i'm never going to be the mad dog screaming into my microphone for no reason i'm always going to see the bigger picture be critical when necessary and i have had people within baseball organizations that tell me like i listen to your stuff you're right. Thank you. Keep doing the good thing. Like people that actually try to win games have told me you're right about this. Thank you for saying that. So that's how I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to be level-headed. I'm going to listen to critiques. I'm going to push back on things that I think are wrong, like bunting. I hate bunting. And that's all my fan base ever wants to talk about. Sometimes there's time and place for bunting, but William Contreras bunting in the seventh inning of a tie game is not a time. I want him to bunt. So stop calling me. It's like the Nick Saban. Stop asking. Like, no, William Contreras is not going to bunt with a one out runners on first and second, the seventh inning of a tie game. This isn't Little League. Like he's swinging. If he strikes out, he strikes out. So I I use it as an educational tool. I'll use it as like a let's relive this incredible moment or we'll use it as a sounding board like we did at the end of the season. So you've done all these different things, calling different sports, doing a a call in radio show, being a statistician is. 162 in a big league booth like is that is that the pinnacle is that the end goal is that where you want your next 10 years to be yeah i I still want to call games every day uh i i know that it's not linear and to get to that seat i've been close on a couple of places and my the people that are closest to me know how close i've been in some places and all of that creates experience and all of that creates things to glean from and draw from the next time I'm in that room for an interview, the next time uh, I'm a finalist, the next time a team calls me out of the blue and asks, what do you think about this job? So it, it happens when it's supposed to happen. My dad got his first job when he was 30. I'm 29. We got time. My dad's now getting ready for his 32nd season in the show. So there's no rush is what I try to tell kids. I was just talking to a, a kid I'm mentoring back at Arizona State. You are 21 years old. It's not going to come tomorrow. And I know we see the 
the Noah Eagles of the world. And we see uh, the, the kid who's calling the Clippers now, whose name escapes me. Uh, these kids that are fresh out of college and doing their thing and doing such a great job. Those are the anomalies, right? I, I think of it's more common to find the Adam Amins and the Kevin Burkharts of this world that were grinding for so long. Kevin Burkhart was selling cars in New Jersey. Uh, Adam Amin wasn't sure what he was doing in Denver. And now, like, Adam's a great friend. He'll be Adam's here in Milwaukee best, tonight man. calling the Bulls. He's the best. He's great. So it's, I look, I tell kids to follow those stories more than the Noah Eagles of the world, more than the Joe Davises of the world. Because look, Noah's incredibly talented. Noah might be the next great one. It's, he's had every resource given to him, just like I have. And I'm not ignoring that either. But I think it's so easy to compare yourself to people that you shouldn't be comparing yourself to. BA gave me this advice and I live by it every day. Comparison will kill you. It simply will kill you. Nobody's route is the same. Just follow yours and be proud of it and learn from it. And ultimately, it's going to lead me where I want. I got a quick rapid fire for you, then I'll let you get out of here. Let's do it. Favorite big league ballpark? Fenway immediately came to mind, but I also love Camden Yards. Favorite minor league ballpark? Um, God, I haven't thought about minor league parks in a long time. You know what? I love, just because I'm sentimental to the city, Winston-Salem. I absolutely love, I think it's called BB&T still. I don't know what it is now, but... Absolutely love Winston Salem. Favorite Milwaukee food spot? That's a great question. Gosh, uh, I'm gonna go. There's an Italian place across the street from me. It's called Calderone Club. Also next door, it's got San Giorgio Pizzeria. It's like that classic Neapolitan style. Like, uh, fantastic. One of the first places I ever ate in Milwaukee, and I'm I'm never leaving. So yeah, yeah, Calderone and San Giorgio here in Milwaukee. Best hole at Aaron Hills. Twelve par four downhill, kind of snakes, dogleg, blind second shot. It's an example of how we didn't move any land at Aaron Hills. It's meant to be like formed by the glaciers. Twelve, such an awesome hole. Fifteen is such an awesome hole too. So, uh, come on out to Aaron Hills. I'd love to have you back. And then, uh, last one. Everyone gets this. Do you have a nightmare travel story from the minor leagues? Mm, God, how do I pick just one? Um, I've had twice. I've checked into my room and there was somebody already in the room. Total stranger. Um, I've had bus breakdown just like everybody. It seems I would say, I I would say probably for me, it was in the pioneer league. Uh, We were normally like league rules is you had to have an off day after a, you know, at least minimum 600 miles or whatever it was. And we were leaving, I believe it was Missoula to come back to Orem. So that's like a 12-hour drive. But we weren't going to have an off day the next day because our ownership begged and pleaded and petitioned to the league to say, we don't want to have to play on Sunday at home. Like I mentioned earlier, how attendance takes a hit on Sundays in Orem. So the league said, okay, you get a Sunday off day. And you don't get the off day on the travel down from Missoula. Lo and behold, that night game has a rain delay. And it's our last game of the season head to head with Missoula. And so we have to play this game. And all this it ends up being, it just was brutal. Uh, we didn't hit the road until like 4 a.m. And we arrived back in Orem, something like 2.30, 3 o'clock, and just basically got off the bus and went straight to work like it was 
that was brutal. That that that's the one I was like, yep, season's almost over. Like, let's just let's just get this over with. And I just slept all day the next day. Yeah. And if there's anything to take away from this, folks, always flip the latch on your hotel room. Always, always, always flip the latch when you get in. Make sure that thing is locked up. Uh, Dom, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Yeah, thank you so much, Kyle. Appreciate the time, man, and uh, love the work and keep up the great stuff. You got it, man. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Big thanks to Dominique for coming by, walking us through his journey through baseball. Looking forward to seeing where the game takes him and where we can hear him on the call. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.